Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 238th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great, Cameron. How are you? I'm doing well. I uh, Are you recovered? Are you recovered from the disappointment? Well, you know, I'm better. I don't know that I'm recovered but I'm getting there. I was thinking about it. Uh, at least you're a Chiefs fan. Now, there was a long time where you could not say that. But in more recent years, at least you're a Chiefs fan. I've got something. Yeah. You know, even with that horrible, horrible loss, we, st- we, we do still have Dennis. That is true. So, but Can't take him away from us. Yes, for a few days, it was, I was in pain. Yep, uh, we will talk about that uh, loss to Princeton and put it behind us, give our thoughts. Um, we'll try to separate out. I want to separate out the frustrations around that game, separate that from the success of the season as a whole. Um, we have some football news. It's time to switch gears a little bit back into football offseason mode. The spring game happened. We got a commitment uh, from a player in St. Louis, so we'll get into all that. Before we do, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, leave us a review wherever you listen to us. And, of course, you can support us directly on Patreon, patreon.com slash Pod. just like our newest supporter, Cooper Boyer. Subscribed on Patreon. Thank you. Last week, Matt upped his subscription from 5 to 10. This week, we get a new... Subscriber with Cooper. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Cooper. Welcome in. And Kyle, the first thing, uh, should we, how do, I forgot what we decided. Do we want to go football first or basketball let's first? Let's just get basketball out of the way. Okay. Let's let's get our, uh, okay. our thoughts out there. Just, just spill our hearts a little bit. So, bad news first. Missouri basketball, their season ends with a loss to 15 seed Princeton in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And when I say they lost to Princeton, they got beat down by Princeton. The 15 seed Missouri did not look good outside of like maybe seven minutes of play total. The rest of the game, the majority of the game was all Princeton. They looked unbeatable. We looked like we didn't belong in the second round of the tournament almost. So that was really frustrating. And we decided to have a watch party. We got together to watch it. <laughs> and so we could be depressed together. Yeah, that we were. Yeah. I mean, it is one thing to lose to a 15 seed in the first round of the NCAA tournament like we did in 2012. We've had we've seen that happen more often in the tournament the last few years. I think it's actually happened three years in a row uh, now if you include this year. But one thing I kind of actually wish I would have looked up that I just kind of thought about right now, but like, what are the chances that you lose to a 15 seed in the second round? <laughs> like that might, that's of course way even less likely. I think, and I feel like the 15 seed, well, I guess Florida Gulf coast yeah. went on a little run. That's the only one I could St. think of. St. Peter's okay. went on a run last year, Yeah, but more than uh, most of the time, the 15 yeah. seeds are just getting destroyed in the second round. Um, whenever the teams kind of have a, have a chance to say, okay, you know, you guys are legit. You won your first game, but now we're going to, we, we've seen what you have to offer and we're just going to dismantle you. And that's normally what happens. 
Yeah, and in, in this year, I mean, uh, when Norfolk State happened, we actually had Lehigh beating Duke the same day, I think, yeah. and that kind of took. Series so talking to what they found. Uh, that kind of took the spotlight away from Missouri losing, and I feel like similarly, um, this loss to Princeton for Missouri, even though it was a, a big upset, it's still like. Uh, you know, kind of getting drowned out by just the craziness of this tournament. Yeah. There's been so many upsets that it's just kind of one of many at this point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The and field, it happening in the second round helps that too. <clears throat> yeah, the field feels flatter this year than it has in other years. Uh, obviously, we saw a 16 seed Fairleigh Dickinson get to the second round. Like the lowest Kim Palm team in the field had been pretty mediocre, if not bad, like all season long and then just went and got hot at the right time beat Purdue and then almost beat Florida Atlantic in the second round. Like I watched some of that, that game. It was actually excellent. Just back and forth action the whole time. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I, it does feel like, uh, maybe the, the landscape is a little bit different than it's been in years past. I don't know. I'm sure NIL probably has something to do with that, but probably not like fairly Dickinson though. (laughs) That's probably like just too far out of there to, to really have an impact with NIL but yeah I do think that the the field definitely feels more even um in the last couple of years than it has you know maybe than it was 10 20 years ago yeah and I think uh, the transfer rules and uh, eligibility extensions and stuff like that are playing a factor mm-hmm. undoubtedly um so the final score in this game was 78 to 63 um Noah Carter kind of kept Missouri in it early. Uh, Missouri went on a little run to cut the lead to five early in the second half, but then it was all Princeton. Yeah, pretty much everything about this game was just really uncharacteristic of what Missouri had done all year. Um, Kobe was pretty bad. Uh, Demoy Hodge was awful. I think he scored two points. Yep. He obviously got hurt kind of where he um, fell on his head on a dunk attempt that he was probably fouled on. Yeah. But clearly, like it was, he was already frustrated, though, kind of – went up and tried to dunk when he didn't need to and all that stuff so yeah he only had two points he was over three from three already wasn't playing well um carter yeah like you said was pretty much the only player that did look good in this game uh do you think they they were tired or like i mean what i mean that just i know there's been a lot of debate about this on online just the last few days like people just trying to figure out like what was happening But, but i really do feel like this was an outlier performance for missouri um just with the outcome and losing to a team that's well outside of quad one, all of those things are just like that. We, we really didn't see that Missouri team very, very many times this year. Yeah. So if I actually uh, producer Cameron and I were talking about this when we were, as we were watching the game and after it was over, it felt like maybe Missouri came into this game thinking they were going to be rightly thinking they were going to be the superior like athletes and uh, playmakers and I think they underestimated Princeton's how physical Princeton would be and then the officiating basically let either team be as physical as they wanted to be and I think Princeton was just more physical than Missouri in this game I think early on I think maybe Golston got called for an offensive foul and we've seen this multiple times throughout the season where a couple times Kobe has gotten called for an offensive foul and it feels like the entire offense just backs off a little bit yeah. and is scared to get called for that so we're driving less we're less physical 
And I feel like it gets in their head a little bit. And Princeton just leaned into that. They were like, oh, the refs aren't calling anything. We're just going to be incredibly physical and see what happens. And it worked. Yeah, it is crazy. The like perceived psychological effect from one of those like bad offensive foul calls where uh, I think it was Golston was just driving to the basket and the defender was just kind of hanging tough with him and kind of flopped, kind of fell down. Maybe there was a little bit of a push off from Golston, but a bad call in my opinion. And yeah, then it's just kind of, you get in that mindset of like, what can I do? And I don't want to, I don't want to do it again. I don't want to get called for another foul driving to the basket. So, well, was it just the Utah state game where I think we talked about this last week where Kobe got called for an offensive foul. And then like later in the game got an and one and they were like, Oh, on this play, Kobe got him on this other play. He didn't. And it was just literally because it was a 50 50 call that the refs called opposite ways. Yeah. And I feel like this was the same type of play with Golston where it could have just as easily, I think it warranted more of a defensive foul than offensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, But, you know, I I think the refs did play a factor. I agree with you. They really weren't calling anything. And I think Missouri should have tried to take advantage of that more. They should have been more physical. But one thing I noticed, I mean, that really stood out to me was Missouri was trying to drive and they could not beat the Princeton defenders. Like, their defenders were quick they were moving their feet laterally like really well and like we i felt like that was one of the main sources of our frustration at least early on and just kind of echoed throughout the game was like the guys could not beat their defender around to the basket and so they were settling for like weird shots or um little floaters or just trying to have have to kick it back out or whatever so um yeah i thought princeton honestly played really really well as much as i hate to say that like they were by far the better team at least in that 60 minute interval or let's see it's actually 40 minutes 20 plus 20 is 40 yeah 40 minutes including halftime uh 60 minutes maybe football is 60 minutes right 15 times four okay there you go all right uh (laughs) anyways princeton was better princeton was much better and it was so frustrating to watch um Missouri's like spirit just get broken over the course of the game and as weird as it sounds like Missouri's defense wasn't even Missouri's deep Missouri played on defense the way you would expect when Missouri wins like 84 to 75 or something where it's like wow they're giving up a lot of open shots this team's scoring a little bit too easily inside but Missouri's offense is getting it done, right? so we don't even worry about yeah, it. Yeah, Missouri's defense was exactly what it always is, but their offense was what was totally different than what it normally is. Yeah, Princeton shot 52% from two and 36% from three. They attempted 33 three-pointers. That's insane. That's a ton. Made 12 of them, so not like they didn't shoot the three incredibly well it felt like they made so many threes well they were like princeton's offense didn't really do anything special in the first half at all that was all missouri's offense not showing up like not being able to manufacture points in any way yeah yeah i I literally think they were just like i can't believe these little princeton like defenders are hanging with us and i feel like they just got really frustrated and then the last 10 minutes of the game is where princeton just like buried us yep that's when like every shot was going down princeton scored 32 points in the last 10 minutes of the game yeah that sucked that's uh what did missouri have in the first half missouri only had 25 points in the first half 
Something like that. Jeez. Um, I thought it was interesting. I was looking at the box score afterwards, and Ryan Langborg was your Kempom MVP. He scored 22 points. That's only the second time in his career that he scored more than 20 points. The first time it came against Division Three, Keen. They're just called Keen. <laughs> Are they even on Ken Palm? Division Three? No, they're like they would be like seventeen thousandth on Ken Palm. But oh, uh, he scored twenty-two. He was four of twelve from three. And um, yeah, Missouri couldn't turn Princeton over that much. Uh, Princeton turned the ball over nine times compared to Missouri's seven. But Princeton out-rebounded us by 14. So it was just too many things not working. Yeah, we. I mean, we were worried about their post player, and he was not much of a factor. I mean, he probably rebounded well, but I just, we, I mean, we got beat everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, one of their, uh, uh, their they have a freshman. Caden Pierce is a freshman, and he pulled down 16 rebounds. Oh my gosh. By himself. Yeah. Um, Kobe Brown scored 12 points, but I think six of those I would consider garbage time. Like, he pulled up from three a couple times late and made them. Um, Golston had 19 points, but was 0 for 2 from three. The uh, three point shooting just wasn't there. Yep. And, And Noah Carter finished the game with 14 points. I think he had like 12 in the first five minutes of the game. Literally, yeah. Yep, there was just basically nothing redeemable about this game. There was nothing that resembled who Missouri was during the season. They had like that one just god-awful game against Auburn in the middle of the year that this kind of felt a little bit like. It was just like, we're going to lose this game because the guys aren't in it. You can tell like they're just, they're, I don't know if they're they're tired or they're not focused, but they just didn't have it that day, and they were never in it at any point. From the moment the ball tipped, it was... Something was off. Yeah, there was... Okay, so to start the second half, that's when Missouri cut it to five. And I was thinking, like, okay, with 10 minutes left in this game, 15 minutes left in this game, this has to be a reasonable deficit that we can overcome. That's true. That There was one moment where I was like, okay, we're fine. Like, we're, we're, we're back in it. We're playing well again. And we got to that, just that brief moment of... A little bit of sunshine on the horizon, mm-hmm. and then it was all Princeton the rest Back of the way. Back to like 10 points instantly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Two possessions later, 10-point game, and then we were never in it from that. I think the lead was 20 at one point. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, the officiating I thought was bad. I thought they were letting it be way too physical, but they were consistent with it, I felt like, on both ends. Um Missouri, I think, has to, the players have to recognize that and try to take advantage of it themselves. I mean, defensively, I feel like Missouri is usually pretty good at that. This season, when the refs have kind of let things go, they turn up the intensity on defense and uh, create problems. There was that um, zone defense that was leaving the corner shooters open, and I felt like if, I mean, that almost worked. I mean, if Princeton makes like three fewer threes, then it's 
probably a little bit different ball game because you're but they were shooting threes and then getting these long rebounds yes. that didn't always turn into transition uh, opportunities yeah. that was probably the worst part was just like and i think i even said this to you the other day um a missed shot is the end of a possession like the vast majority of time for most teams that are in college basketball but a missed shot is just the start of things for missouri i mean because getting the rebounds the most difficult thing it's it's like getting a rebound is more difficult than than forcing a missed shot mm-hmm. for missouri it's like it's just so difficult for them to force a missed shot and then get the rebound it's just insane how difficult it is for them and Princeton, like you said, yeah, just kept getting second chance opportunities and, and taking advantage of it. This game had 63 possessions, which is low for, for Missouri. That was another problem that they just never could get the pace where Missouri wanted it to be. Um, 63 possessions. Princeton had 16 offensive rebounds. That means a quarter of the possessions in the game ended with Princeton getting an offensive rebound. That's a lot. It's pretty bad. And it felt like it. It felt like more than a quarter. When it's just happening over and over again, you're like... It's exhausting. Yeah. And and like I said, it led to virtually zero transition opportunities. Yeah, it's a miracle that Missouri scored even as many points as they did in this game. It felt like they scored 40 just watching the game. Yeah, there was a point where like like Princeton scored like their 60th point and I was looking at the scoreboard like I don't know if Missouri gets to 60. Yeah, like what are we going to do to get to 70? Yeah, that, that, was, that was never even considered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at halftime so that Missouri like trimmed the lead I think to 7 going into halftime. They had a couple good possessions and I was thinking like okay, Missouri can score 40 points and a half. But 40 points in the second half would have just given us like 66, 65. Yep. Mm. It hurts. It hurts. Um, and probably everybody has said this already, but it would have been easier to swallow if it was Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> like getting just, w- for me personally, getting just way overhyped thinking, wow, like the stars actually aligned for once yeah. and we're going up against a 15 seed that just, you know, yeah. had their like program, the best win in program history. Yeah, exactly. I just, I, I feel so dumb like that. I let myself go there that like, Oh my gosh, like for once we had a fortunate bounce where we put ourselves in a, in a position, we won our first game and now we have given, put ourselves in the position to make a run. And like some of the other stuff that was going on in Missouri's region was like pretty favorable like if they beat Princeton, they were playing six seed Creighton because they beat Baylor. Like there were just things that were like the stars were aligning all the way, and I don't know if they knew that. I don't know. I, I don't even want to try and get inside their heads because there's there's no point and there's no reason to. But it's just one of those things, man. Like it's just the most Mizzou thing ever that uh we he just cannot figure out what to do with uh with a good situation sometimes yeah and that's the that's the toughest part is like um in the moment it's hard to shake that feeling of like well this was like the the dream scenario was forming and then we just uh fumbled it but 
we have to rem- remind ourselves. I have to remind myself this was year one, and uh, it wasn't the worst upset in the tournament. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of walking that line somewhere between like just be happy it happened and also like kind of pissed that we didn't get to the Sweet 16 because it's like yeah, <clears throat> if you would have told me preseason that we you know won a tournament game and all that stuff like yes i would have taken it 100 out of 100 times but that was five months ago like yeah. information has changed like yeah. I, we've gotten new information at this point and so my expectations change too and so i don't know i'm kind of walking that line like i'm happy but i'm i'm also like disappointed that ended the end of the way it did and just gotta live with it yeah and it did feel like um man it felt like everything they were saying all the right things like uh Des Moines hodge talking before the game uh, the day before the game, they were doing their press conferences and stuff. And he was like, no, we're not, uh, we don't think anything about Princeton other than they're a good basketball team because most of us came from mid-major yep. and you're saying all the right stuff. Yeah. So it seemed like they were going to be locked in, ready to go. I really, I can't help but think that they just kind of backed off. Like the Princeton kind of was like, no, we're actually going to be super physical and you're not going to push us around and we're going to dictate how this game goes. And Missouri was just like maybe surprised by that and just kind of let it happen. I felt like, um, I mean, Princeton was called for four fouls in the first half and five fouls in the second half. And yeah, that, that just like can't happen. No, that's pretty bad. But, in any in any basketball game, you got more fouls than that. But this game wasn't close enough for that to matter. Maybe maybe psychologically, if there's a different precedent set early, maybe things are different. Yeah. Well, so I was thinking about that, and it felt like early on, it felt like maybe there was going to be this moment where tensions ratcheted up because it was super physical. They were letting things go. Maybe, you know, there's a little shoving or something. It feels like that's usually how a game like this goes. And then the refs wake up a little bit and like, oh, shoot, it's been really physical. We need to calm this down a little bit. Yeah. But I don't I think Missouri had to press the issue there and kind of accelerate the game to that point. Mm -hmm. Instead, they they didn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that was that was the key. They uh, they didn't fight back when they got hit in the mouth. Yeah. So. Now can we try to let's try to be positive now. Let's be positive now. That game's behind us. Uh, we can kind of look back at the first season here and maybe try to set the table for the off season a little bit. Okay. Well, one one more quick little okay. question for you. Yeah. Twenty years from now, uh, Dennis is still coaching Mizzou. Wow. Uh, Sign me up. We we're doing well, and we're like, man, remember Dennis's first season? What what's your reaction going to be? You're going to think, wow, uh, he was so much better than I ever thought. Or like, man, that was such a good hire. Or you're going to be like, man, remember when we lost to the 15 seed? I'm going to be thinking, wow. I'm going to be thinking, how did we How did we lose to a 15 seed? Because I, I, I'm going to view that as like growing pains, mm-hmm. I think. Like it was uh, year one. Nobody thought we were going to win a game in the NCAA tournament. Most I mean, picked 11th in the conference by the media. And then you get to the NCAA tournament, you're a seven seed, and you're the underdog. So I feel like winning that game against Utah State was like getting over the hump. 
And maybe that goes into the loss of like, you know, we did what nobody thought we would do. And maybe that took a little bit of the burden off their shoulders and uh, a little sense of urgency was gone a little bit. Yeah, perhaps. Okay. I mean, that's, I like that though. I like, I like what you said though. I think, I think Missouri did get over the hump when they beat Utah state and uh, they did something that nobody thought they were going to do. And that doesn't, nece- that doesn't mean that every season from here on out, it's going to be, this isn't the new uh, baseline right. uh, expectation for how a season should go right. now in a few months when there's been whatever happens with the roster happens. Maybe we are looking at this and going, whoa uh we upgraded a couple spots and now and some guys came back so we're feeling really good maybe that is the baseline for next year but we know a lot can change in one off season yeah and i think no matter what uh like something i like to do is go on kempom and click on the coach's name and you see their entire coaching history if it if you can go all the way back to like year 2000 and you see the coach's record right there for every year that they've coached. And it's always going to say 25 and 10 and 11 and 7 in the SEC. And I feel like when we're looking back, we're not going to remember the Princeton loss, I think, because we'll have bigger wins in the future. And we're still going to see that right off the bat, Dennis Gates came here and started winning. And it won't be the one that got away because we'll have gotten exactly better. Yes. That's my take right okay. now. That's what I'm telling myself. We needed it to get where we're going. But 25 and 10, 11 and 7, fourth in the SEC regular season, made the SEC tournament semifinals. Kobe Brown, first team all SEC, seven seed in the NCAA tournament, and a win over Utah State. Forget about the Princeton loss um, just for this exercise. What are you thinking right now? Heading into the first offseason, this is just the best right i mean right yeah 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 i mean this has gone better than we could have ever hoped uh we've talked about this endlessly all season like really at at every point if you check in with us at every point of the season we're saying this like at no point where we were like yeah i don't know i don't know about dennis i'm i'm a little un unsure what this is going to look like uh, that hire was like eh. like at every single point throughout the way we have been like saying as good things as we can possibly say. I don't even know what else to say about Dennis Gates at this point. <laughs> right, right. I, uh, I love, I love the man and I love what kind of the, what Mizzou basketball is right now and kind of the, the honor and pride that's been restored um, and kind of all the, the crowds coming back and all that stuff. So yeah, Missouri basketball is in a tremendous spot right now. Uh, Dennis Gates seemingly locked up for, for a while. Um, so things, things look really good. Okay, so now setting the table a little bit, going into the off season. Um, first of all, something that we haven't talked about in a while is this recruiting class coming in. So we're going to actually have some true freshmen on campus uh, here before too long. Three guys, the twenty, uh, the number twenty-one ranked recruiting class on twenty-four-seven Sports. Four-star forward Trent Pierce. Four-star forward Jordan Butler, who I don't know if you know this, but when I was I looked him up uh, more recently, he's now listed at seven foot oh on twenty-four-seven Sports. Wow! And then three-star guard Anthony Robinson, and we also got a JUCO transfer <laughs> that I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Kurt Lewis, maybe. That's it. Um, yeah, I mean this is super exciting. I think uh, one thing that maybe we haven't seen Dennis really do yet 
is show us how he can develop guys. And we, you know, we've seen what he's done early in his career. Obviously, he's been known for kind of his evaluation of talent, being able to kind of pick guys out of the rough and and take them to, you know, the NBA. And um, I think that these are really talented freshmen, uh, and it's kind of like the perfect ratio, like all, kind of like Aiden Shaw this year. Perfect opportunity for those guys to kind of get their feet wet a little bit, kind of see uh, what the college game is about, but not really be relied upon necessarily in year one. At least that's how I'm envisioning next year's going to look like. We're going to still have a lot of experience, a lot of older guys that are kind of playing meaningful minutes and scoring a lot of points, but um, the freshmen can kind of get in there and and uh, make a difference in whatever ways they they can. But I, so I think this is a op- perfect opportunity to kind of see how Dennis. Uh, develops those guys and see how they make an impact right away yeah and you mentioned Shaw seeing him play this year and sort of like the minutes that he got what his role was and everything and uh coach Gates comments about how the main thing that they need they wanted him to rebound and they understand that he needs to put on weight and they don't want to rush that Mm -hmm. so that's exactly what you want to hear as far as like the mindset of how you're developing the younger guys yeah i mean it's it's kind of a lost art almost in this day and age of college basketball i i i mean it's not common that guys stick around for multiple multiple years and so hopefully that i think uh coach gates is kind of instilling a culture that creates a little bit of longevity uh with some of the players and it seems like aiden shaw is super happy where he's at at least just from an outside perspective so i think we'll get the opportunity to see him play several years uh, okay, so as far as this team that we just watched, obviously Hodge, Golston, Gomillion, out of eligibility, those three guys are gone. Um, we talked about this a little bit last week, but it's nothing's really any clearer right now. Um, and it's honestly hard to even know the scholarship situation because of eligibility and right. all the transfers. Yeah, and it's like stuff. trying to guess how many openings we have or so, how many open spots we have and stuff. It's just... Yeah, you could figure it out, but... Not even worth taking the time to do it. Yeah. So let's just assume that with those three guys gone um, and the guys coming in, let's just... That's got to be close to no more available scholarships. <laughs> right. Assuming <laughs> maybe, nobody transfers. Maybe anything. off by one. We might be over the limit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure, but that's pretty close to no more available scholarships. Mm. So um, what would you identify right now as holes that need to be filled, maybe by players that are leaving or like uh, Hodge and Golston or just what we didn't have this year that we need to add? Yeah, um, I think we're going to be set at point guard, kind of like the one guard. I I, I personally think uh, Nick Honor and Sean East will both return. Um I think uh, we, I mean, Kobe was kind of our do it all. Like he really kind of played three guards for a little bit, but we really need uh, just a big interior presence. That's maybe not a, a huge scoring threat. I mean, it'd be great if they were, but we really just need somebody that's going to kind of clog up the middle and get rebounds. So I think that's maybe the, the most glaring addition that needs to happen. Do you, if you had to bet right now, or let me maybe ask you how comfortable you would be with Diara and Shaw splitting time at the five, or would you be comfortable with that based on where you are right now? Or are you thinking a priority should be to go get a veteran, like a, a graduate transfer big? Yeah. I mean, we, we survived this year. I don't think we want to survive next year. Uh, 
I think that that doesn't mean that there's not a role for Aiden Shaw or Diara, but yeah. I don't think that that's their role necessarily. So I think that they'll look to to get a guy that just specializes in really kind of getting the rebounds, just being tough down low, because I just don't think we really have that guy on our roster right now. I mean, we saw flashes out of Diara. Uh, you know, he's got some offensive skill for sure, but I just don't think he's ever going to be like kind of a powerful player yeah. down low that's, you know, dominating the boards or anything like that. I don't think that's ever going to be who he is. Yeah, I agree. And Shaw looks like the kind of like he can finish at the rim and block some shots. Yeah, he's almost like a almost like a stretch four almost. Yeah. And uh, maybe I can't remember if we talked about this a long time ago, like when he was uh, coming on board. But um, like the dream trajectory for him would be like Lawrence Bowers before he hurt his knee. And it seems like Shaw actually has a little bit more of an outside shot than Bowers did his freshman year. But if you're mm-hmm. just talking about like these uh, sort of lanky, springy forwards. Um, yeah, not a flashy forward, more traditional big. Yeah, I don't think that's either one of those guys. Yeah. So um, maybe we take a, a, a transfer big. Um, then we got to be replacing. We got to be looking to replace Hodge's three-point shooting Yep. in the portal. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, if we penciled in, like in, in Kobe Brown returning is like key for this off season, right? Sure. Yeah. That's more so than any transfer that could come in. Yeah. I mean, it seems weird to say like priority number one, because if Kobe wants to uh, go pro or, you know, seek other opportunities, then obviously we're going to be happy to let him do that. Assuming yeah. that doesn't mean like transfer somewhere else, but if he wants to just go, uh, you know, seek out a professional uh, job somewhere, then yeah, I think they're going to be happy to just to let him go. But uh from a fan's perspective, yeah, definitely priority number one is just to have Kobe return. Um, what do you think about Isaiah Mosley? Let's bring him back. Let's bring him back. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's zero information to go off right. of. Other yeah, strictly than vibes only. Vibes only. He's back next year. I agree. Uh, and, I mean, that, you know, the vibes could completely shift before you even hear this. But <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. As of right now, just based I, on yeah, like some of his social media stuff, the senior night day thing. Yes, and just how obviously we know how things were not did not go as planned this year. But also, it doesn't seem like Missouri's the problem in the right. equation. Right. I think I think he's gonna want to run it back in his his hometown school. Is that maybe that's completely just hopium on my part? Oh yeah. But that's what and, it feels like. Yeah. And the the talk earlier in the season about uh, him getting a waiver for more eligibility or, you know, where this partial season wouldn't count against him or whatever that process was that we heard about early in the season, it definitely doesn't seem like the relationship between Mosley and Mizzou is why he didn't play very much this year. Right. I agree. So as long as that is still seems to be the case, uh, I like him to come back. And um, he was uh, tweeting with a former Missouri State teammate who transferred to Northwestern State, who is back in the portal. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Demarcus Sharp. Yeah. So he scored almost twenty points per game in whatever conference Northwestern State plays in. I, I have known that at one point. <laughs> I, I don't know right now. They were the two seed in their conference. They were they were pretty good. Yeah, their coach left for Austin P. Yeah. So 
And we're familiar with that situation a little bit because several Missouri State players went there. Yeah. And Jordan Wilmore went there. He's yeah. back in the transfer portal. Yeah. Corey Gibson was a longtime Missouri State assistant. And uh, Isaiah Mosley and Demarcus Sharp both played for him at Missouri State. He took the head coach job at North at Northwestern State. A lot of guys followed him there. Yeah. Inclu- like you said, including, well, Jordan Wilmore didn't follow him there, but he did end up there. Followed him from the state of Missouri. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was really weird the connection-wise. But yeah. it does make sense that, that you mentioned that, though, that the connection uh, that Isaiah Mosley has with Demarcus Sharp, who seems to be Missouri's really main priority in the portal right now. It's kind of a scoring guard. Uh, those guys know each other well, have played together would make a lot of sense uh, for Sharp to end up in Missouri. And if that's the case, then it seems like an even better chance that Mosley could could stay. Sharp, like, uh, plays a 2-3 spot? He played point guard at Missouri State. Okay. I, I haven't really watched a whole lot of film on, what, on how he scored 20 points a game at Northwestern State because when I watched him at Missouri State, he was not doing that. Um, he averaged, like, five points per game, one of his seasons at Missouri State, and, like, eight points per game, I think, his other season. Uh, and his second season, Missouri State, he got hurt and, and didn't even play half of the year. So, But he was strictly kind of a, a distributing point guard when he played at Missouri State. So, I, And he didn't shoot a lot of threes last year, so I'm a little bit perplexed on how he scored 20 points a game. I'd be curious, I'd be curious to know how, how he was getting to that point every game. Uh, looks like getting to the free throw line a lot, making free throws. Also attempted 485 two-point field goals, Wow, which is a lot. That's astronomical. And shot 46% on those twos. So just a lot of usage. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 25th in the in the nation in uh, percentage of possessions used last year. Uh, super high on assist rate, low turnovers, um, high steal percentage. It looks like he was just, uh, you know, too much just for... Really active. He was just too much for the old... Uh, I'm trying to look at the conference... <laughs> He was too much for the Southland Conference. Southland. There's a lot of, like, South, different South conferences. But they're Northwestern State and the Southland. Conference Player of the Year, according to Kim Palm. Wow. Yeah, so. Yeah, he named a final three of Missouri, Austin P, and, like, Loyola, Chicago. So, you know, his Missouri looks great there out of those He's originally from Missouri. He is, yeah. And so the other competition, I guess, in that final three, I guess I would assume is, is Austin P because that's where Corey Gibson is yeah. as the head coach. So I don't know. With something to follow in the next few days, I, it seems like that recruitment's gone pretty quick, and I, I think he could commit somewhere in the next week or two. Okay, so I jotted down a little uh, way too early starting lineup projection and uh, like maybe like the top eight guys that would be contributing based on what we just talked about. At the one, you've got Honor and East splitting time, and they play alongside each other just fine. At the two, I'm penciling in Mosley and Sharp. Seems as good a guess as any. Yeah. At the three, I'm putting down Kobe Brown because I want to see a full season of him, you know, a little bit more perimeter-oriented because he was shooting the three so well this year. Yeah. And I want to see him just really take on that role of, a wing forward that can do everything. Mm-hmm. Give me floor spacing, three-point shooting, also can finish at the basket, Noah Carter at the four. Mm. And then give me a transfer big who can come in, start every game for us at the five spot. Yeah, I mean, we 
we also have the freshmen to think about. It's possible that one of the the one of the freshmen could sneak in there if we aren't able to land a more traditional big in the transfer portal. But yeah, I mean, a, a Kobe Brown at the three with a more traditional big could kind of free him up to do more things on the perimeter. I think that would be kind of exciting. And Kobe and Carter at the three four. That's basically the yeah, same thing. That's a lot of offense for yeah. sure. Um, I kind of view Demarcus Sharp as a similar skill set to Sean East. Um, I don't know. I'm, I guess we're just. I'm just assuming Sean East is back. I don't know um, for that for sure. But I think maybe Demarcus Sharp's slightly better offensive skill set, but probably fairly similar. You can't have too much uh, ball handling on the floor at one time. Um, this and then like Diara and Shaw are are playing the five spot too. And then, yeah, you work the, the freshman in however you want. But that would be like that sort of outcome for the offseason or better. I mean, I'm trying to be somewhat realistic as far as what I would like to see here. Something like that would have me very optimistic for next year. Yeah. That would be crossing things off the list that we desperately need, and I would be really happy. Yeah, maintain what we did well this year and, and add a few pieces in the portal. I think I'd be I'd be excited. Now, on the flip side, I'm a little worried if Kobe goes pro. Good for him. That would make me a little bit worried because that's a lot of scoring to figure out with him and Hodge both being gone. Uh, If Kobe's not here, if Mosley goes somewhere else, if we don't get, like, if for some reason, like, Nick Honor or Sean East left to pursue other opportunities and we if we don't get a transfer big and we're just relying on dr and shaw and then what are we looking at like these freshmen being relied on more or like transfers that aren't you know blowing us out of the water i mean there's a there's in between on all of this where like a few key guys from last year leave but then we fill their spots with impact transfers right well who knows on any of that exactly yeah if kobe and ha and demoy hodge are both gone then it's just, my expectations could be could be quite a bit lower because those guys by the end of the season those guys were were the engine of the team and it's not unheard of like i mean it would it would resemble but i'm not willing to say that it would go this way um conzo you know bringing in this incredible transfer class and uh recruiting class year one getting to the ncaa tournament and then it's like okay now the rebuild's actually starting yeah but Conzo didn't have a second recruiting class, a f- recruiting class of freshmen yeah. coming in after his first year that looked as promising as this. Mm-hmm. So overall, um, yeah, we can't say enough about what the job that Coach Gates and company did this first season. It's going to be very fun to keep track of the portal this offseason and figure out if we can fill some of these holes. See, at some point, we're going to kind of get a vibe of how the coaching staff is viewing what we're thinking of as like holes in the lineup. If, uh, right. if, if we don't hear Missouri mentioned with any like uh, veteran bigs tr- in the transfer portal, then you're going to kind of have a clue there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, going to be a fun off season and anything else basketball before we switch to football here at the end? I think so. Mizzou football got a commitment from four-star defensive tackle Tion Gray from Hazelwood Central in St. Louis. Uh, Four-star in-state player in the trenches. Gotta love that. 
Yes, uh, for sure. Um, was reading my phone there. Sorry, I got a little distracted. Uh, yeah, Dion Gray. Dion Gray. This is massive, massive get for for the twenty twenty four class. Um, I mean, yeah, it's so it's so nice to get like actual SEC lineman uh, recruits on on the interior. He's six six, almost three hundred pounds already. Uh, SEC size immediately. So yeah, anytime you're getting like a he's I think he's. 120th overall prospect on arrivals so uh legitimate four-star player uh in state i think that just speaks volumes to uh what the 2024 class could be especially a guy that's recruiting that uh that's committing this early on it seems like in the past if we were going to land a big fish like this it was in it was a battle for months and months and months so to to land teon gray in march is just a huge huge win yeah, so when I was looking him up and stuff, I, I've been only thinking basketball for a little while now. So touching base with the in-state recruiting class for 2024 and looking at that list, I was like, oh, there's some names here that would be yeah. crucial. Uh, like oh, for yeah. Missouri to take a step in the right direction and like build off some of this momentum that we haven't quite seen translate to wins completely. Yeah. There's some difference makers in this in-state class. 100%. I think 24 class could kind of define uh, Coach Drinkwood's legacy for sure. If, if he's able to get a lot of these guys, it could buy him some more time. Uh, it could be some real dif- difference makers on the field here in a couple of years. So, yeah, so not only is, is the class looking really good so far as far as commits, but I think just some guys there well-positioned with uh, Missouri guys, uh, it looks like it could be special. So Which we thing. will go in depth on all that stuff here. In oh next, yeah. In the next few months, just kind of getting the conversation started. Now we'll have all the time in the world to, to talk about these guys, um, you know, over the off season, but a lot of exciting stuff to come. Yeah. And things are moving quickly. Um, obviously with a top 10 guy in the state, uh, already making a decision. Um, also I think like while, or like right before Missouri lost to Princeton, uh, Missouri football, was playing their spring game, but it was held indoors in the new indoor practice facility. Yeah. And so it Maybe, wasn't... I don't know if it was a new one. I don't know. I'm either. not 100% sure. Um, it wasn't televised, though. Even if... I don't know. I, even if it was... I think the media was able to be there. Maybe some a few, like, family members and stuff. It was very lightly attended. Yeah, it wasn't open to the public. Um so I was, we were reading up on it a little bit from, I want to cite my sources on this. So, uh, Parker Gillum from Rockham nation, uh, gave a little write up on the spring game, the scrimmage and everything as did Jack Sobel with the Columbia Missourian. So we were reading that a little bit and sounds like horn got a lot of run with the first team offense. Garcia was mostly with the second team offense and both quarterbacks looked good but inconsistent and it looked like at least from the scrimmage the defense is ahead of the offense which is kind of what we would expect of course unfortunately it sounds like the defense is further ahead like if you're trying not to insult the offense too much right the defense is further ahead than we would like and be comfortable with yeah uh for sure, it sounded like the defense was dominant. Um, one thing I did like about what I heard from the defense was it sounded like some of the brighter spots of, of the spring game and maybe just practice for the whole spring are some of the newcomers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tristan Newsome is a, is a Juco linebacker that had a pick six in the spring game and apparently has, has impressed all spring so far. 
uh, the safety from Florida. Can you, do you did you write his name down? Uh, Travez Johnson. Travez Johnson, uh, I think, could be pretty special as well. So the defense is just stacked, man. There's no other way to put it. Um, maybe the defensive line is a little suspect, a little shallow personnel-wise, but um, I, think, I think the defense is going to be really fun this year. Yeah, both articles mentioned Darius Robinson and how he'd been playing more on the outside of the defensive line this spring. Yeah. And he got a sack from the defensive end position in the scrimmage. So if, um, if Darius Robinson has a productive season at defensive end, which I think he definitely could, he, I mean, he's going to make himself a lot of money because yeah. he's just the perfect like type of body type for some, you know somebody that can play inside or, or play on the edge. He's just so long and like powerful. Uh, I definitely think he could get eight or ten sacks this year if he really, really plays well. Um, the question is who else is going to be opposite of him if he's playing an edge because sometimes that's just as important as uh, who's going to draw some attention away because if he's just getting double teamed every time, he's, he might just get taken out of games. So yeah, Somebody else on the defensive line has to be able to take advantage in those situations. Yeah, but really, really talented player. Probably just could have been drafted this year if he, if he left. Uh, had a chance to play in some senior bowl type stuff and chose to come back. So pretty uh, honestly kind of shocking that he did come back um, with the opportunities he had. But that's, that's going to be great. Um, I was looking up. Uh, I, I thought I read, wrote it down, but I didn't. Um, the offensive line, I was going to name the starters on offensive line that ran with the, the first team offense was uh, Javon Foster, Xavier Delgado, Connor Tolleson, Armand Mimbo, and Marcellus Johnson. Does that line up with what you would be expecting? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, man, I don't know. It, we've gotten some mixed results, uh, some mixed signals, I guess, just from Coach Drinkwitz and some of the things he's, he said about the line. Uh, I definitely think the interior of the lines is concerning, uh, especially at center. Sounds like Connor Tolleson's having some trouble snapping the ball. Uh, I don't know that Pence, uh, Ben's Polgar is going to be much of a factor there either, even though he is eligible now. So the center position is going to be a concern. Um, I do have faith that the Tolleson can figure it out. He, he played quite a bit last year. He's still really young. But I think Missouri's going to be great at tackle um, with um, Marcellus Johnson, the, the transfer from Eastern Michigan. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good addition. But for the most part, it's still uh, just continuity from last year, and um, I, I think they'll I think they'll be all right. Yeah, I mean, some improvement I mean, is J- like the yeah. baseline expectation. I mean, Javon Foster might be one of the best offensive tackles in the SEC, honestly. I mean, again, he's, he's another guy that I thought would, would just easily go to the NFL, would be drafted, um, and would be on his way. So I was surprised that he came back for another year. And speaking of the offensive line, offensive line coach Marcus Johnson left for the same position at Purdue. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I have no inside info whatsoever. I have no idea what went down on this, but uh, I I really don't mind it. I I don't I don't mind it at all. Um, I thought the offensive line kind of got beat off the ball a little bit last year. I thought they I thought I think their talent is better than what they showed for and. I think if a different coach could uh, could give a little spark. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, you look at some of the names here, and you've got, um, you know, older guys who have played a lot and are talented and, yeah, like potential NFL players at some point. And the fact that they their output was just 
not where it needed to be last year just really didn't make much sense and um it's kind of interesting that that we would get a new offensive line coach this way right like at in at the end of march because your current one is leaving yeah a little bit strange but which makes me wonder if you know there's some conversations that maybe were happening uh behind the scenes purely speculation who knows but you know he'd been here for a couple years and position coaches don't hang around for a very long time they're usually on the move so uh but i did want to mention armand bamboo as well i think it sounds like a guy that has an incredibly high ceiling could be a really really good player uh just did unprecedented things as a true freshman playing tackle last year he's moved to the inside now uh, also sounds like a guy that everybody loves on the team. So I think he, he might be a, a future star for us on the, on the line. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so we'll have a new offensive line coach at some point. And it's kind of fun. It was nice to, I needed to like shut my brain off of football for a little bit, take a little in, break in order to like feel soak up Dennis re- Gates. Yeah. But also just to like be reinvigorated when, when it came time to get back into the meat of it. Yeah, I mean, usually we're not jumping back into football this year. I mean, f- you know, don't get me wrong. Spring game. F- football is year-round yeah. for, for a lot of us, for sure. That If you're still listening this deep into this podcast, you're 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 a year-rounder for football. Um, but it, it did feel like a little early that we were jumping back into it, and typically it's more like April when there's just literally nothing else going on that we're, that we're talking spring football. But it, it's good to still get some of those practice nuggets to hear who's playing well. And um, honestly, if I had to bet on anything this year, it's that Luther Burden gets like a thousand targets. So (laughs) him playing on the inside, playing in the slot, I think is just going to be the greatest thing that we could have possibly done for the offense. And assuming he stays healthy, I think he's going to be incredible. Yeah. Going to make it easier for whatever quarterback wins the starting job. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. Anything else before we wrap this up? That's it. I'll wrap it up then. Uh, let's see. Let me grab my paper. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $10 level and above. Britt Treese, Brian Smith. Oh, I got to throw in here real quick. Britt is winning the bracket challenge right oh, now. Wow. His entry is titled M-I-Z-F-K-U. Nice. Uh, we so had a lot of entries. We have like, I don't know. 50 plus, 50, I think. 50 plus. Yeah. So Britt sitting on top. I think he's got Alabama to win. He's, uh, looking, he's well positioned. Yes. Yeah. A lot of Final Four teams still in it. Um, I, I had UCLA going all the way. They're looking good. They look pretty good. But I think uh, somebody else had them with more max points than me. So I need some things to go my way. Plenty of time. But uh, yeah, Britt looking good right now. So uh, let me pick back up here. Britt Treese, Brian Smith, Ryan Demore, Tristan, Ben Smith, Parker, Daddy JD, Tim Keens, Tyler Harsel, Brandon Garofalo, Brandon Hanks, Matthew Tilly and Cooper Boyer. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. We love you all. Uh, you can find this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. We're on Twitter at Missouri Sports Pod, and you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. You can find our t shirts and stickers on our online shop, Missouri Sports Pod.bigcartel.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. No games. <laughs>